Hello, everyone. Welcome to the season two of ESG Climate and Money Show. And as I promised on LinkedIn, this season would not be that boring. We already had several conversations and we have a vibe, which we call it sustainability vibe. Please introduce yourself, Stephen. Well, first, Sonny, I want to thank you for letting me be part of this uh, the show, right? These conversations. These conversations are, are, are fundamental uh, as we try to figure out you know, what ESG actually means, um, how it's practiced. Because uh, I do think that it's, it's, it's in transformation, right? I don't, I don't think it's settled right now, especially here in the United States. So um, yeah, let me introduce myself for dive headlong into it. So I'm a history professor by day. I'm a tenured uh, uh, associate professor in the Department of History and Political Science at Wingate University. It's a small uh, private college outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm also the chair of my department, uh, but I'm also part of uh, this ESG integration collective called Responsible Alpha that was uh, uh, founded by uh, a good friend of mine named Gabrielle Toomey, who has much experience in the sustainable finance space. So he has been an important uh, uh, door for me into entering into these sorts uh, of, of conversations and, and themes and sectors and spaces, whichever term that we want to use. And so this is this is my sustainability journey, right? Um, I'm a, by profession, I, I study migration uh, of people. Um, my first book was on Arabic speaking immigrants, Christians, Muslims, and Jews in Argentina in the first half of the 20th century and integration and, and how they uh, transformed themselves from an immigrant community to you know, an identifiable ethnic community. And, and so I've always been interested with cross-border flows, right? And climate is one that knows no national boundaries, right? It doesn't respect national boundaries and climate change doesn't either. And intense weather events um, uh, doesn't either. And and so as I became more aware of this in recent, so in many ways, Sonny, I'm, I'm a bit of an interloper <laughs> because I don't have a, you know, a technical or science background, but, you know, I am uh, uh, learning. And so that's why these sorts of opportunities, you know, with Gabrielle and with you are, are quite important. And so when you put out the call, I say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm in the hunt for a co-host. I said, yeah, let me, uh, let me reach out and, and see uh, what you have to say. And so, yeah, I'm happy to be here and happy to uh, hopefully add to the discussion. And, and um, that's a little bit about me. Thank you, Stephen. I'm, I'm very pleased to have you. And, uh, and you know, this migration thing you are talking about, the, this is really related to, of course, climate change. Uh, there are uh, in this 21st century and what we are predicting now is like there is going to be a lot more migrations than before, also triggered by these uh, events um, from the natural forces. So this is very much relevant and it also impact a lot on this uh, S of ESG and also it has to do a lot with E of ESG. So you are right in and um, I, I mean, we all need to learn from each other. And a little bit about my reintroduction. Uh, so my training is in biology, uh, specific, uh, you can say veterinary sciences and things like that. And then I have a specialization in nutrition, uh, specifically uh, animal nutrition. And I have been 
previously have experience working in seafood industry, where I try to talk about sustainability and sustainable way of producing food and things like that. On the side, I also have um, Aquaculture Tribe, which is like one of the largest English uh, content channel on uh, YouTube, which is doing things related to the sustainable food production. So basically, biology and sustainable food production, these are two of my topics which I feel very comfortable about. And uh, the other things like you, Stephen, I have been also trying to learn about this ESG, the thing for last three, four years more actively. And uh, I have been doing small things related to that, but not at a bigger corporate scale. Uh, and I like to talk about this stuff and I really feel like we have to uh, demystify the things related to ESG which is one of the, the motivation for me uh, to do this because I, I feel like there is so much mythology and buzz around many different things and not a day, day past when we have a new regulation and new thing coming in. So this is, uh, uh, what, this is a thing which motivates me to, to kind of uh, talk more in a plain language. And having you, I feel we can make it much more uh, interesting and funnier and less boring and less technical so that we can have people along the way coming in. Uh, so uh, thank you very much, uh, Stephen. So let's move uh, forward um, and uh, let's jump in. So what is our topic today, Stephen? Well, and as we were joking uh, in a previous call, uh, the subject today is greenwashing, which could be the subject for the entire season. And But greenwashing is, is, is a serious issue. Um, it has, it is a central challenge to trying to develop true sustainable finance up and down and across the, the financial sector. So that's what we'll be talking about uh, today. You know, some of these, some of the, some of the conversation that you and I will have is informed by Obviously, Tark fancies a uh, very frontal assault on on this very issue. So let's jump in right away into Tark fancies uh, his essays and uh, all he has been writing on the social media related to the ESG, where it went wrong, and so we can we can discuss more about this. So what what is the problem right now? Why we are talking about this? Why is it so important? Um, uh, I can add into this uh, a little bit in this pudding of greenwashing. I think there is a lot of uh, uh, thing about being dishonest by the big companies, uh, by the big corporates, by the big investment firms. Uh, and it, it is more about marketing what makes people uncomfortable about ESG. And uh, yeah, these are some of the things I, I kind of found out related to this, that why there is an anti-ESG movement. But of course, related to that anti-ESG movement you are having in US right now, that has maybe has less to do with the way Tariq Fancy is talking about. Maybe it's more about political side of the things. But, but of course, when there is a new thing and there is a huge opportunity to have this lot more uh, money flowing in one direction, then of course people will jump on this bandwagon and they wouldn't do the important steps in due diligence and, uh, and they would just like to squeeze all the marketing benefits they can get out of that. Um, so what do you think? What is the situation in US uh, related to this uh, ESG thing? 
Right. So in, in, in terms of greenwashing, I think I forgot to, to give a, a thumbnail description of it, but greenwashing, as you mentioned, Sonny, is simply marketing a financial product as being sustainable or envi environmentally friendly. And it, in fact, probably is not or is not. Uh, and so this is where the marketing comes in, right? And uh, so this is why you have a lot of actors insights or who are advocates of sustainable finance saying we need to have clear rules. And the United States is a laggard as it relates to sustainable finance. Um, and this is why the EU taxonomy, which we can talk about you know, later, is, is quite critical. I mean, we've also seen Singapore uh, lay out clear rules what counts as a green financial product and the like, and uh, the EU taxonomy will probably be far more consequential at an international level. Now, in terms of greenwashing in the United, or ESG in, in the United States, is that it has become a political topic. And we saw aspects of this actually as early as, as the late spring, early summer. So this has been coming down the pike and it's, become, it's come to the forefront. Uh, the state of Texas, my home state, has uh, announced that their public funds, public pension funds, will divest from BlackRock because of its commitment to sustainable finance. Florida has forbidden its uh, asset managers of their state pension funds from considering ESG criteria in their investment decisions. It will also be something of particular interest at the federal level if the Republicans take control of the lower house, that U.S. House of Representatives, which they are most likely will. Um, I don't know if it's done and dusted just yet, but that's that's the strong trend line. It's the historical trend as well. But yeah, that's uh, that's some of the challenges of, of sustainable finance, in particular ESG, is that it's you do have the issue of greenwashing, but you also have it being transformed into a political topic that is, you know, a lot of uh, white heat uh, without trying to fully understand what, what the purpose of it is. I mean, I, I do think in, in our lifetime, Sonny, ESG investment decisions will simply become investment decisions because just to manage risk. I, I agree with that. It's like a it's also the risk framework in a way, rather than maybe too much emphasis on the talking this heavy word of ESG, which makes people maybe more uh, polarized, uh, at least what I heard from you in US. And, uh, and th this is very interesting. Also, you mentioned two things, and one is greenwashing and one is polarization. I feel like two things are very different from each other. Uh, for example, when the, there is, there is of course, whenever there is a new thing, there are also rational minds coming up with the new ideas and thinking, folks, this is what we really wanted. Why are you doing like this way? That is maybe more like a greenwashing style of thing. But having seen this thing polarized, that was very unexpected uh, because you normally think like if there is some good idea that should be widely accepted by the society. It turns out it is not the case. And uh, it is not just, of course, in US anymore. It is also in many other developing economies and sub-developed economies where are all this, why uh, we should make sacrifices. 
the bigger corporations and the bigger countries are the, on, on the economic uh, side of the things are not really willing to take much more sacrifices. So it is very polarizing. Um, uh, it has turned out to be a very polarized uh, topic. Unfortunately, when we, I started off in this also, I didn't felt like that. Uh, the motivation was also thinking like, we have to understand this, how to drive this sustainable finance, where we can change the world, for example. That was the pure motivation for people like me or many others like me, maybe also like you, that we have to be the, we have to be the part of that greater machinery, which is helping uh, to fix the climate change and the greater issues of humanity with this flow of finance. And maybe we, we are needed, people like us are needed where they can come up with their multidisciplinary skills and try to also understand more about ESG and try to implement in their industries or other industries and try to learn more things. But unfortunately, here we are in 2022, we don't know uh, that uh, where the things will uh, end up. Let's, uh, let's uh, see if, if we don't have Biden anymore, things might change drastically uh, in uh, US, for example, or, or elsewhere. I mean, we already see that Donald Trump, he, he kind of, uh, well, he came out of the Paris Agreement already. Uh, and then how much time was lost and how much momentum was lost. So it's, it's a very serious uh, issues and uh, it's very difficult to navigate for us. Uh, what do you think about this? I mean. So uh, a couple of things come to mind. I, I agree with you that it, we have to push it to where sustainable finance simply becomes finance. And perhaps it's a generational thing. Uh, one of the things in a recent TED talk that uh, Tarek Fancy gave is that we, we don't necessarily need to be concerned with the leaders, right? The leaders of sustainable finance. We need to be concerned about the laggards. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and so it, what's really interesting in the United States is that you've seen a lot of leadership at the municipal level in the, uh, in the United States and at the county level, right? So if you will, the subnational level and the laggard has been at, at the federal level for a variety of different reasons. Uh, many of them are historical um, to put on my history hat and the like. What will be very interesting in the short term at the federal level is, is the new rules that will be coming out by the Securities and Exchange Commission, which will require, because right now it's, it's voluntary, but will require far more um, reporting about their emissions, about uh, publicly traded companies and their emissions. And we got a sense of what that was going to be be when the proposed rules were issued in in the spring or in this I guess in the summer is when they came out but they have not issued the, the final determination but that they're using pre-existing authorities to be able to push corporations publicly traded companies to disclose what their actual carbon footprint is it seems to me that that will become of greater interest to Congress if if the Democrats don't hold the lower house uh, or the Senate for that matter, and the Republicans come in, it's, it's a topic of, of great interest to them. It'll be interesting to see if they can, can have that conversation 
as adults. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hope 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 to have some uh, positive co outcome coming out of it. But uh, let's uh, wrap up the discussion with one uh, uh, question to each other today, as we are doing going to do more more in this format that we are going to ask each other in the end, the three takeaways from our uh, discussions, maybe. Um, so, uh, uh, Stephen, what do you think? What are the three uh, takeaways today from our discussion? Or a yeah, very Martin, tiny chat? Yeah, some of the takeaways as it relates to greenwashing and in our conversation is one, it is a thing and it is something that, that finance legitimately needs to address. Uh, second, and this is something that, that I've seen, I've read webinars, I've attended, I, I did a certificate course in sustainable finance uh, from the Cambridge Institute of Sustainability Leadership. Across the board, people are calling for regulation, meaning there needs to, they're asking for political will to, to turn into political action. And Tarek Fancy is very clear about that in his, in his recent uh, TED talk, that the rules need to be put into place. Uh, which is good. I mean, I think investors need that sort of transparency, but also uh, to hold bad actors to account. Uh, so the, the third takeaway is in the United States is to look at the subnational level. So the state level, as well as the city and, uh, and county level, the county that I live in, which is Mecklenburg County, uh, Charlotte is the county seat. It's about 800,000 cities, 850, 900,000 people. We have a net zero commitment plan in place by 2035 at the county level, right? And that is something that the county commission uh, or commissioners did on their own. It wasn't imposed on them. It's just something that they've decided to do. And so this is similar to other jurisdictions across the, uh, across the country. In fact, when Trump withdrew from Paris, the Paris Agreement, the subnational level, there were many, many jurisdictions that said, look, we're still a part of this. Uh, even though you have this aberration at the top. So those are my, my three takeaways as it relates to greenwashing uh, in our conversation today. What about you, Sonny? What you got? Yeah, so my three takeaways are simple. And that is, in my understanding, we businesses have to have more integrity and honesty because this thing related to this greenwashing, in my view, is a lot more to do who you are as a human being and as a corporation and what behaviors you bring uh, to work. Are you there to just like putting the problem under the carpet and putting a green paint on and saying that, oh, well, we have fixed everything. All of our climate goals are uh, done and we have a beautiful sustainability report and we have achieved what we would have been achieving. Uh, that behavior is a human behavior, I would say. Uh, also related to this BlackRock thing, I think it's not to do with one particular company. It is more about the how the humans are. So, so it's, it's a lot more about integrity and honesty in my understanding. And then the second point, uh, I would say we are still uh, transforming uh, as a society. Uh, overall, we are just waking up to this problem of climate change. And I think we are already very late, but there is some progress and I hope it would happen more. And uh, number third point is that uh, I, what I understand is there is a huge uh, kind of uh, the divide uh, which we talked about in this conversation. And this divide is very unfortunate. Uh, it 
could have been addressed. Uh, I don't know how it would happen, but maybe the conversation like we are doing is one way to address these polarization issues. But, um, uh, Stephen, um, I think we will have another chat then. Uh, we will have the weekly episode on this uh, podcast, hopefully with the new guest coming in and not two of us, at least I'm the boring one. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, let's um, finish this conversation today. And uh, thank you everyone for listening to us uh, and joining in the ESG and Climate and Money Show Season 2. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Sonny. Thank you.